Welcome, Iowa innovators, educators, entrepreneurs, ecosystem builders, and anyone interested in finding fresh ways of doing the work they do right here in Iowa. This is Iowa Innovation, powered by Nuboco, where we talk to leaders in innovation, education, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dr. Jennifer Murphy. And I'm not a Dr. Rob Merritt. Today, we're talking with Kyle Coolers. Kyle works for the Waterloo School District and specifically in the Waterloo Career Center. We're going to talk with Kyle about innovating in the classroom and different ways to meet students where they are, as well as this just amazing program that the Waterloo Career Center is and how it's really building community partnerships in the area. With that, let's innovate, Iowa. This show is sponsored by Nymaster Good, Iowa's largest law firm with offices in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, and Ames. Yeah, it's funny they don't have one in Waterloo. That could be helpful to our guest that was just on. But Nymaster's cutting-edge, positive legal approach has helped businesses of all sizes succeed for more than 10 decades. That's 100 years for those of you that don't do math easily. And really, from the smallest startup to the largest manufacturer and every business in between, Nymaster offers a full range of employment services to employers. So for prevention, planning, dispute resolution, or really any legal employment matter, Nymaster's labor and employment attorneys provide effective, cost-efficient representation. Yeah, so if you're thinking about, if you're a business in Waterloo and you're thinking about reaching out to Kyle to talk about, hey, how can we get some students in our practice, seems like these would be really great people to connect with. In fact, now that I think about it, I wonder if they could let me job shadow at Nymaster Good. Ooh, it might. Maybe they could connect me for like a new career. Yeah, so, you know, they've got more than 70 practice areas. So they've got attorneys with expertise that are in all areas of the law. You know, some of them are corporate structure, capital raising, intellectual property protection, tax planning, employee benefits, labor and employment law, government relations and litigations. Which one of those would you want to shadow, Rob? I I don't even know now. There's so many choices. Have you ever had that moment where you like freeze up from all the options because there's so yeah. many great choices? Yeah. I think, though, that I might maybe job shadow under intellectual property protection just because I want to go and yell at people. Hey, that's not your. <laughs> You can't have that. That's the one I would have picked for you, but for entirely different reasons that we will not discuss right now. Oh. <laughs> well, anyway, visit www.nymaster.com to learn what Nymaster Good can do for you. That's nymaster.com. All right. Well, welcome, Kyle. It's Hello. great to have you here in the Iowa Innovation Studio. See how I'm taking ownership of it? It's actually the LAS pod, Media Group. Sorry. And to be LAS Media Group. Studio. To be totally fair, this is actually Kyle's second time with us. We none of you will ever get to hear it, but we recorded an amazing episode with Kyle uh, like two weeks ago, and then we had some kind of uh, some kind of issue where it didn't. It didn't come out the way we were hoping it would. And so Kyle agreed to come back and record with us again. Yeah. So, uh, and we liked him so much the first time that we were like, yes, yes, get in here. We yeah. want to make sure that uh, that people hear this. <laughs> so, so Kyle, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with us for a second time, uh, because this is a really important message that we wanted a lot of people to hear. You bet. Hopefully there's not a third. I know, you never I know. know, man. I mean, if this is a really good conversation and afterwards we're like, we need to have this again because yeah. it's so cool. I mean, honestly, we were making it up. There were no tech issues. We just really like Kyle and we wanted to have him back. Yeah, there might not have been tech issues, but there was a co-host issue. What was that? I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Nothing went wrong. Absolutely oh, nothing I, at all went wrong. I 
remember what it was since Rob's a new daddy overslept. <laughs> I, that is that is uh, that is a, a, a flagrant misrepresentation of, of the truth. <laughs> but that's the story I'm telling, and I'm telling the story. So, wow. <laughs> Kyle, yeah. are you are you sure you want to do this, Kyle? Look at look at who you're going to be working with today. Like I, we're crazy. I think I'm ready. We are here to talk with you not about our failings as podcast hosts, but as what we can learn from you as an educator. So there's two things really we're going to dig into today. Um, you know, one being just this idea of innovation in a classroom setting and, and some of the things that you can share with us about that. And then the other is just this really cool career thing you're doing. And I'm not going to talk any more about that until we get to it because I want you to talk all about it. So, um, you know, let's start off. So, Kyle, you have... Yeah, let's learn a little bit about you just from a background perspective, because you've done quite a few things, but you've also been teaching for a while. So talk yeah. to us about kind of what got what brought you into teaching. Um, right out of college after the University of Iowa, I um, worked at uh, for Kinseth Hotels for two years and then Oral-B Laboratories for six years, which yeah. was manufacturing. Um, and then I grew up and was raised in Iowa and they wanted me to uh, to move to San Francisco and or Boston. Um, and so I decided I wanted to stay in Iowa, so I went back and I got certified to be a teacher. And so mm-hmm. this is my 19th year of teaching, and so first 12 years were at uh, Auburn Act, and then three years at Union in LaPorte City, mm-hmm. and this is now my fourth year at the Waterloo Career Center. Yeah, which is so cool. I'm, You know, you hear so many people that do, we call them boomerangs. We just did an exercise at work not too long ago about people who leave Iowa and then come back, and you were just like, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I don't even want a boomerang. I'm staying here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Why was that? What What was the What was the draw to stay here versus going out and say, I'm gonna go try San Francisco or wherever? I'm just I'm always curious about that. Um, I my brother did it. He went out to Los Angeles, and yeah. so I kind of you know watched that experience, and it took about nine months, and he yeah. was back in in Iowa, and so yeah. I just I just thought you know, it's uh it's it's a good lifestyle and it's one that I enjoy. So I just wasn't ready for, for a change. And a lot of the people at Oral B were from Boston and San Francisco and they're, they're a little bit different pace. Um, Mm -hmm. They talk a little bit different. They have an accent, you know, that sort of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I just kind of like the, the lifestyle and the, the chillness of Iowa, I guess. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about this, this idea of innovating in the classroom, because I think maybe, I don't want to say this group more than any, but maybe this group differently than so many, this group of educators, especially in the K-12 arena over the last couple of years has just, I mean, it had to be innovative. (laughs) You have had to be, there has been no choice but to be innovative in your jobs. Um, what were this? What were some of the things that you came across in this whole process over, maybe? And you don't even have to limit it to the last couple of years. I just know these mm-hmm. last couple of years provide that incubator, so to yeah. speak. But tell us about a few of the things that that you came across for educators. Um, quickly realized communication uh, and being able to uh, locate and find yeah. um, our students yeah. um, during when we went to online and we went uh, entered into COVID. Um, the pandemic. And so, uh, but finding out and having a conversation, and I've always done this with my students, but the first day, ask them, you know, what is your um, cell phone number? What's your preferred uh, way of communicating? And so, um, but that really got heightened during the pandemic. And so um, I had some students that their preferred communication was Discord. And so I had some who, um, 
who uh, one that it was Slack and one and a couple that you know preferred texting. And so, but just being open to um, meet the students where they're at and mm-hmm. and use the tools that they want to use. Um, I had never used Discord. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> and so, um, but I learned it fairly quick. It's fairly intuitive. It's just a 1980s chat room, basically. It's a little bit more powerful. That's but, a great analogy. Yeah. But, yeah. So it, it's, you know, it it's, uh, you know, making sure that yeah, you're, um, you, a lot of times they say educators need to show empathy. And so one way to do that is to meet the students where they're at. And so, you know, and just ask. A lot of times I, do, I don't think we take the time to ask the students. And so um, just making sure that, you know, hey, how do you want to be communicated with? And so, sure, I could get 70% of them on a, on a video call or on a Google Meet, maybe 80% on a good day. Um, but I was able to maintain contact with all my students and to continue um, with classes and everything and, and pretty much with every student. Um, but again, I had to use three or four different sources of communication. Yeah. You were talking about um, meet students where they're at. And obviously that's been of huge importance during the pandemic. But even before that, um, I mean, you've been an educator for quite some time. And there's always those, there are some parents out there who say, well, this is how I learned it when I went to school. I don't understand why teachers aren't doing this because that's what I, but from your perspective, um, how important is it, pandemic aside, how important is it as an educator to keep innovating, to keep changing what you do? And does that have to do with the idea you just mentioned about meeting students where they are? Um, yes, and I was before, and even probably my first five years of teaching, I was that parent. <laughs> you know what? This is the way I was taught. This is going to work. Well, you when you get in the middle of it, you quickly realize it it doesn't work. And so, um, but the whole making sure that you want to reach all students because every student is going to go out into society and they're going to graduate from high school. Well, most will graduate from high school, but they're going to go out into society, and so you want them to be productive citizens, and so. Um, they're at different skill sets, and, and that's important to recognize that. And um, in my class, there may be a class of, if I have 10 students, we may be doing a project, and um, there's eight different things going on with the, with the pro- you know, eight, eight, I do computer programming, and so there might be three different languages kids are working in, you know, Python, JavaScript, and maybe C Sharp, and then, um, but they're doing the same project and they're hitting the same learning targets. And so I think it comes back to um, the learning targets and then um, being creative and maybe pushing boundaries and how you can hit those learning targets. And, uh, and I use the classroom kind of as a laboratory. And so I like to try things. Um, some things work and then you come back to them and you do them again. Um, other things don't work. And so you either modify them or you just uh, forget about it, move on. But you know, kind of to be open to that, um, that experimental part of education. I think sometimes we get too set in, um, you know, this is the way it's got to be. This is the way I was taught. This is, this is the way I've been doing it. And so, but that change, because students are changing. And so if we're not changing with them and trying to, to grow with the students as they're growing, um, we might be left behind. <laughs> Well, and there's an element there, too. You mentioned the word um, conformity earlier. I can't remember if you used conformity in that form or conformist or what you used, but you used that earlier. And it's, you know, I'm working with um, a school district out of state right now doing some uh, development work with them. And, 
you know, watching um, them try to look at new ways of doing things and then this um, kind of back and forth between does everybody in the third grade sector, as an example, have to do it this way or, you know, is it okay to modify it? And so, you know, sometimes what that really opened my eyes to was the difference between needing to have kind of standard achievements towards goals and the way that we get there, you know, because there's there's things you want kids to learn at a certain grade level that's going to get them to perform on all of these standardized tests that we have and all the things that help the schools get money. But at the same time, I think we also know that not every kid learns that way. Not every kid learns just from getting a book, reading it, taking notes, doing problems, whatever that case may be. Um, so how 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 do we how do we deal with as you know you're a parent I'm a parent Rob's now a parent yay um you know but just I think that was one of the things that I really got to see more firsthand so during the pandemic that was you know and again don't want to focus on the pandemic time frame but that was I think a a benefit maybe to parents to to be more on the front lines and see that like for me to say, hey, Kyle, I need you to teach my single child differently than the other 34 you have in your classroom, so, you know, doesn't necessarily work either. So how do you know, just on your experience, how do how do teachers and parents and kids all navigate those unique needs that all these these parents and kids and, and teachers have, you know? Um, and I know that's a big question, and I don't expect you to have the answer, but I'm just looking for your ideas. <laughs> yeah, my my ideas is uh, every student can learn, and every student can learn at a high level. Yeah. And so the challenge that I, you know, face with myself is how can I ensure that I'm given that opportunity to demonstrate their yeah. learning? And so um, they're going to learn. And so making sure that they can demonstrate and show that learning in different ways and provide yeah. different mediums for them to um, to do it through projects um, and not necessarily through um, textbooks. And so yeah. very rarely until a couple of years ago, in 19 years, I had never used a textbook until a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to use one. Uh, and so, but just trying to be, you know, creative and, and again, having that relationship to get to know your students. Um, you know, I always, I always sit back and I always wonder, I have a conversation with my students on the first day and I tell them every student in here can get an A plus at yeah. the end of the semester, every student can have an A plus and they just all kind of like think I'm crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> no, because you can redo every assignment because the learning is what I want to happen. And yeah. so... I try and make sometimes try and make it more about um, myself as opposed to them, to the students. And so, you know, if they're struggling with something, maybe I'm not reaching them in a way that's going to be effective. And so then I need to be a little bit self-reflective. And is there a different way? And maybe just have a conversation with the student and just say, hey, what are you struggling with? What are some ideas that you might have that would help me, you know, better reach you? And so... Um, coming back to that communication piece, yeah. just making sure that the communication yeah. is there. Yeah, that's, that's, I love that because you just you hit on something that I've been struggling with because I'm also I'm an educator in higher ed. That's part of what I do, and I teach this class where it's the first class that that these guys are taking for their bachelor's program, and so for so many of them, it's been high school. 
Like that was the last time they were really in school and they're now 20 years removed from that or 10 years removed from that. But either way, you know, there a lot of them come in with this attitude of, oh my God, I haven't done school and I didn't do that well in school. And that, I mean, that's not all of them, but some of them, I didn't do that well in school. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I literally had a student, this will blow your mind. I had a student, he's probably early 20s. First time he ever used a computer was in my class. Oh, wow. And it's an online virtual learning class. <laughs> so it was, I mean, talk about needing to meet someone where they are and heavily communicate. The challenge I had with that was that student didn't tell me that till the last week of class. Like there were so many other things I could have offered him to help him be even more successful. That being said, he figured it all out. He did great. He got an A in the class. He's fine. But it also, I always tout that class as a learning class. And I'm always, you know, and you just kind of gave me the idea of, you know, I give them very specific good feedback. But what if I did let them redo it? You know, what if they not only took the feedback, but then they redid the assignment and got a better grade on it? That would be, to me, such a a simple, takes more work on my end, of course, but a simple thing, you know, to enact. And what if we experiment, you know, what if educators experiment with things like that just to see the impact? Well, and I, I think that's the genius of project-based learning Yeah, is that if you're taking students and being like, here, memorize these names and these dates, like right. that's not, I mean, yeah. okay, sure, you're learning something, but it's not really relevant to you. Whereas if it's, hey, I'm going to teach you how to make this thing. Now go make one uh, or, or, you know, create create this presentation, create this video, create, you know, whatever project, you know, you're giving students, not only are they seeing like how this translates to the real world, but they're also getting like a a chance to take some pride in their work to be like, Hey, I made this and I'm, and I'm so of course, under that kind of thinking, having a class where you can redo things where you're like, you know what? It didn't come out the way I wanted it to. It's not so much, I mean, obviously they want to get a good grade and that's a big motivator, but it's almost more about, I really want to be proud of this. And if I can make it better, I will. So I, I love project-based learning for that reason. And, uh, and I know that, that, uh, I know that you do a lot of work with, with kind of helping students get prepared for careers. And I think that that kind of learning absolutely feeds into that. And so uh, so it seems like it's a good opportunity to segue into talking about that program, about how you are helping students to kind of discover and get uh, an early sense of what careers might be right for them. Yeah, the Waterloo Career Center is, uh, you know, there's a lot of business partners. And so um, allowing businesses to come into class and to interact with students and um, I work with work on developing projects with the business partners. Um, they also um, give students opportunities to go out into the community, come into their workplace and to do um, sometimes they're a little bit deeper than internships. And so we might call them apprenticeships. Um, and so where they're actually doing IT work um, in a workplace setting, um, kind of under a supervised um, setting. Um, and so, you know, making sure that students have those authentic, um, real opportunities. And so through the projects, and that's important. And I also, with, uh, with web development, I have students, you know, a lot of times there will be businesses reach out and they want websites. And so a student will work with a client and a lot of times a student will come back and be like, man, they want this, but I don't, I don't agree with it. Well, they have to be able to that continuous improvement. And then they also have to 
give the um, client what the client wants. And so it may not ne be necessarily what they think is best or what they would do, but if it's what the client wants. And so making sure that they can develop that skill set, um, again, to communicate with a client and, and either convince the client that their idea is better or roll with what the client wants. And so, um, yeah, having that opportunity at the Career Center um, is, is amazing for students. And so, and especially getting them out into the, um, into the local businesses up in the Waterloo area. Do you have any students who came into this program like, I don't really know what I want to do. And by the time they had finished or, or, or gone through, came out of it like, yeah, I've got a really clear sense of what I mm -hmm. could do now. Like, are there any career possibilities that you've seen students discover as a result of this that they've then gone on to pursue further? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what a lot of the Career Center is about. And even before the Career Center, when I was at Union and when I was at Albernet, um, I really tried to um, expose students to try and, and see themselves out in the workforce and doing what they enjoy doing. Uh, sometimes we look at a student's grades and we're like, okay, well, you need to be doing this because you get A's in math. And so, but that might not be what the student enjoys. And so, mm -hmm. again, having a conversation with the student, what do you want to do? What do you enjoy doing? And so I try and do that the first couple weeks of class, especially with the newer students. Um, and then I try and really cater to towards their interest um, as much as I can with the projects and some of the different work because um, IT is an extremely um, broad area. And so a student might like websites, another student might like programming, another student might like cybersecurity, and those are all extremely different areas. And so, um, so yeah, right now I have you know two students who did an apprenticeship at a local employer. Um, the local employer just gave them contracts for the summer, um, and so they're going to work full time. Um, it one's in cybersecurity and one is in programming, and then when they they're both going to Iowa State, when they go to Iowa State, um, the employer is going to allow them to they're going to pay them to work 15 uh, hours a week from their dorm room, um, and then every time they're back in the Waterloo area, they're going to want them in the office um, working, and so. You know, that's that's where that passion, you know, what does a student enjoy? And I think sometimes, you know, through nobody's fault, but a lot of times we may look at the grades and there may be a student that gets great grades in science, but they don't want anything to do with science as their career. And so, you know, having that having that conversation with with students, what do you enjoy doing um, versus necessarily what your grades are? That, I mean, that is, that's so in alignment with, I, we have talked about this before, but um, Adam Grant's book, Think Again, just really got me because that was one of the things he talked about was, you know, when you're in kindergarten, they start asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And you're five. Like, I don't know. Like, right now, I just want to go play in the sandbox with trucks. I want to be a fireman. Like, yeah. Like, that's and that's about what, all you got. And that's what kids do. So my my son, because my son is my son and he's mine, was like, I want to be an army um, police um, football player. And I was like, right on, dude. So you're going to go to West Point, you're going to join the Army, and you're going to play football for West Point. That's what we're going to do, right? So five years old, the kid had never played a game of football in his life. He's going to be a football player, <laughs> you know? And, 
you know, and then I'll look at it now and I will say the one thing that has stayed consistent with with his with his desire is this attraction to law enforcement, right? And he was just in DC with his school. They went to a museum. He texted me from the museum, Mom, I think this is what I want to do. You know, which I think is great. Go for it, kiddo. But what I love what Adam Grant says about that whole process is like almost exactly what you just said. Is it's not you know, should we be asking kids, what do you want to be? Or should we be asking them, what do you enjoy? You know, because what I know what I enjoyed in school was not necessarily a subject. I enjoyed the acquisition of knowledge. Now, point me to the job that is like, you're going to be a knowledge acquisitioner. <laughs> you know, like that. that is not a job title. Maybe there is. It, Prove me wrong, listeners. But, you know, but where I've found that is through the work I do in research and through the work I learned about in my doctoral and through just me being curious about everything on this earth and learning about it, right? And then that feeds other activities because that tends to draw me in. But that's not generally the way that our schools try to shape us. Our schools go back to that point of what was your grade? Did you finish this? Mm-hmm. How many credits do you have? That's not learning how to work within a system is a skill in, in and of itself. And I'm 100% behind that. But, you know, this idea that as educators and, and as people, we can be focusing on what are you good at? Mm-hmm. And do you like it? And what do you like about things that maybe you're not so good at? You know, and maybe there's a different way to learn about it. Well, and that, that again feeds into your program because. You know, there's so much talk about the careers that yeah. don't even exist yet, yeah. that will exist by the time <laughs> our kids are adults, and for that matter, careers that exist right now but won't be around. You know, you, like there might have been somebody who was absolutely amazing at building beepers 20 years ago, and you know that guy's career is sad now. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, and I'm curious with with your program, I how um how do you address that how do you address the fact that the workplace is constantly evolving and that your students could be without even realizing it heading for a career that doesn't even exist yet that that's something where students are this generation is is grown up with a device in their hand and they handle change 10,000 times better than i so do so much <laughs> mm-hmm. and so to them it's just it's just expected and so it, they don't think twice about it. It's just, you know what? It, things are going to change. That's the way it is. We're going to roll with it. We'll figure it out. Um, and so being, you know, that, that openness to change, I think, is, is, uh, is more prevalent in the, in the teenagers, in the, mm-hmm. in the 20-year-olds. God, that, I mean, that really makes me wonder about that, to your point, Rob, 20 years down the road, you know, as, as especially, the, you know, the youngest members that are in school right now enter workforce. How does that shape our workforce differently? And then I'm kind of a generations in the workforce geek, too, because I think about, you know, from the boomers to Gen Zs that are now joining, you know, the workforce and how, you know, boomers and Gen Zs have just conflicting work ideas. And it doesn't mean that either is wrong. They're just different. And so, you know, how and I was listening to a podcast yesterday about reverse mentoring and the opportunities we have. And, and that's part of what I think I love about the program you're doing up there in Waterloo is, 
these employers are so open to bringing in these younger these younger members of our workforce and not programming them to be robots within their workforce, but really bringing them and giving a chance to, to see that, understand it, and add value, not just shadow. You yeah. know, they're actually adding value. That's a big difference. Yeah, we have a lot of conversations in my class about, and I always tell the students, and the first time I say this, I get some weird looks, but I always say, imagine when you go get a job, you're going to be working for your grandpa. Your grandpa's going to be your boss. And they're, <laughs> they look at me and they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, not really, but it's going to be someone maybe of that mindset. Yeah. And so you have to be able to communicate and articulate your ideas and teach them yeah. why and explain to them and, and bring them along with you because they're going to be your boss, but yet they still want the business, the company to succeed. So they're going to listen to you, but you have to do it in a way that, you know, it is going to, that they're going to be receptive to receive it. Yeah, and you are modeling those ideas of communication for them, right? So you meeting them where they are in places like Discord and Twitter and all these places, now those students recognize that there's a behavior there. So maybe it's not about their boss meeting them on Discord. It's about them meeting their boss on email. Yes. <laughs> you know, so there's that, you know, you're teaching that that, that can go both ways. Yes. And I, I think that's such an important modeling piece of that. So you mentioned a few of the programs that are available through the Career Center. What what are all the programs that are available there? And and I guess maybe a, a secondary question to that is how how do those get picked? Like how how do you pick them? Um, well, the Waterloo Career Center is it's kind of unique in Iowa because it, there's regional centers, and in Hiawatha there's one here in Cedar Rapids, um, but the majority of them across the state are run by the community colleges. The one in Waterloo, and I think there's one other one in Iowa that's run by the school district. And so um, the Waterloo Community School District runs um, the career center. And so they determine what the, uh, what the programs are going to be. And, uh, and that really helps, too, because if they need to make a change or they want to add something, the community is really saying, hey, we want to add this program. Um, an example of that is cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. um, there's not very many high schools in Iowa, let alone across the nation, that have a cybersecurity program, which would be a sequence of four semester-long courses. Um, but in a couple of years, we'll have one at, at Waterloo, and that's because some of the community members reached out and said, hey, you know, here's a need. And it was really kind of insightful because this was 18 months ago. And so, you know, put the ball in place. And so really the school district determines that. Um, some of the ones that are there um, right now is IT information technology, which is my area, um, digital graphics, um, digital interactive media, video and audio. Um, there's health careers, which is um, nursing students, high school students can get a CNA, walk out of high school with the CNA. And so, um, and then there's the trades area. And so there's construction, there's um, advanced manufacturing, there's electrical, plumbing, um, and those really get into apprenticeships. And so students can walk out of high school and if they want to, if they choose to, they can go right into a decent paying job as opposed to necessarily having to go to a trade school or a four-year school. Um, but there are a good number of students that also choose that path too. I, I just, I love that, that idea that the, the community identified that need and the school was able to be responsive to that. How, how does that community partnership work? 
like who do they do they call you do they call the superintendent like how does that how does that happen um they they usually talk to either my the principal is amy mahee uh-huh. and then um our director is jeff frost and so uh-huh. really jeff frost has been um at the core of the career center because it's in its fourth year um about six years ago construction started and they started with a couple programs and then kind of built off of that but really we're about four years strong and so um, really, Jeff and Amy decide, and the superintendent, um, Dr. Lindemann, you know, does have a lot of input in that too. And so, and right now, it's uh, the Career Center in Waterloo is expanding, um, and so they're going to add 12 more programs. Right now, there's 18 programs, and so, um, and there's 12, I believe, 12 school districts that send students to um, the Career Center. So all of the contiguous um, school districts to Waterloo and then some that are not even contiguous. And so, you know, like Jessup or Union or Hudson or Dyke or, you know, Janesville, um, those wow. school districts can send students to the Career Center along with the, the Catholic system, you know, the Don Bosco, yeah. the Waterloo Columbus, um, Valley Christian, you know, the private schools can too. That's incredible. I was, I know I shared this with you before, but it, it reminds me of the program I was in it, that we had at my high school, but it was so trades focused. Like there wasn't anything beyond the trades, but in our area, I grew up in a mountain community in California and um, <clears throat> we had eight or nine feeder schools and the, none of them were close to each other. It was yeah, you know, a 45 minute bus ride for me as an example. And so you know, to get, and that was without stops, by the way, um, <laughs> to get, um, you know, but what we would do in our high schools, we had, we had a full auto body shop. We had a full farm, um, like literal farm. Uh, we had a heavy equipment operating um, area that people go learn how to do heavy equipment operating. We had a meat cutting um, group. And it was, you know, those were all high demand trades at the time in our area for where we grew up because we ran a lot of livestock in those mountains and there was a lot of heavy equipment um, operators. The um, For a long time, the logging industry was the dominant industry where I grew up. And so to know how to use heavy equipment got you into the logging industry. I mean, that was, it was kind of a no brainer, meat cutting, um, you know, the whole nine. And so, but that was also, it was treated as, this is for the kids who aren't going to college that you know and nobody ever said that but that was the like the underlying message is you know this is this is who this is for and then the rest of us were either going to go work in fast food or go to college right so there was like these and that was just the mindset of the time as i remember it and i am going to full disclaimer memories are faulty but that's how i remember it you know and so I think this idea that what this is very deliberate. This is not just a, you know, let's let's give kids options who aren't going to go to school. Getting a CNA license coming right out of high school. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. That that is so amazing to me that kids could do that today. I, I just my mind is a little bit blown with that that whole concept. Um, and then you know all, they don't have to leave school and then go back to school again, incur more debt, and then go get a job. And then you know there's a lot there. And I think this it feeds into the discussion that. And I'm I'm a I mean I've got all kinds of degrees, so I'm clearly a college supporter. But it also feeds in the idea that that's not the only path. Like your high school career can equip you for some other things. 
and it's not just a box to check and and move on to whatever else you're going to go and do. So yeah. I think that it's a neat message to send out to everyone and you know to to really promote in conversations with our kids even. And yeah. maybe I don't know, move to Waterloo and get your kids enrolled in Waterloo Career Center. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Come on up. And you know, you don't even you wouldn't even have to move, you know, if you had transportation yeah. back and forth. Um yeah. You know, and, you know, and any more, you know, more and more things are looking, you know, we went online for a short, uh, short time period, you know, any more, I think that there's some different high schools that are exploring options yeah. in that area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm sure some of that could be learned. I know we've done our, like our Delta V code school classes, software development, those kinds of things all online for long periods of time during the pandemic. So it can definitely be done. Well, I just, I know from my personal experience that programs like these are so, they make such an impact. I mean, when I was in high school, we had a job shadowing program and I was on the the high school paper at the time at Jefferson High School. And I got the opportunity to go and do some job shadowing at the Gazette. Um, which was, you know, hugely important for me because I got a chance to take this thing that I thought was really cool to be working on in school and get to see how those skills translated to the real world. Um, and then weirdly enough, uh, like a few decades after that, uh, <laughs> I was actually working as the news editor at the Gazette and I was giving story assignments to the reporter who I job shadowed when I was in high school. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing. Uh, I never asked him if he was like as weirded out about it as I was. I, I always thought that was funny, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was like, obviously I wound up at the Gazette as an adult professional. So that experience was hugely shaping for me. So, uh, so yeah, being able to reach out to high school kids and help them get a chance to get real world experience with a career yeah. um, early on just makes such a huge difference. And I think it's great that you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Waterloo, um, the Cedar Valley area between Cedar Falls and Waterloo, and that area up there, you know, Waverly, Gator Manufacturing and Independence, you know, different. Uh, a lot of the employers up there are very receptive, um, and they're in a, they're in a situation, you know, right now where you know they need employees, and so you know it's an opportunity for them to maybe try and capture you know some students' interest, and so um, you know, kind of it's a win-win situation. Yeah. Um, so if you had, if, a, if an instructor or a teacher approached you and was like, hey, we're thinking about forming something like this within our school district, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, talk to your community and okay. see what their needs are yeah. and, um, and then really engage the community uh, yeah. as much as possible. And so because they're going to be a, a huge support um, structure for um, the success of yeah. it. So. You know, they, the community is important and then um, and then, you know, really respond to what they what they tell you. So just don't gather their information and then just kind of, you know, well, we're going to do this anyway and have it preset. Mm-hmm. But really try and use um, some of their feedback mm-hmm. and and um, and then make it continuous. And so it's just not a one time we gathered the information at the beginning and it helped us get it started. But it's got to be that continual process that we talked about um, earlier with with learning. Same thing with the career center. You know, it's evolving, and you know, the 18 programs that are there this year are going to probably be a different 18 programs. Well, not all of them, but there will be some of them will be different in three to five years from now. And so, just being open to that change and to, you know, seeking out that that input. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just, I think you just spoke to kind of the, the heart of what we love to do at NuboCo, which is collaborate, right? Yes, just, absolutely. you know, bring people in that are not just information sources, but true partners in yeah. the work you're trying to do. So I love that. That feels like a great place to final thought it. What do you think, Rob? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, gosh, final <laughs> I have so many, like, to choose from. I, <laughs> I, I'm really drawn to when we were talking about the idea that careers are constantly changing. I was, I was thinking about how, you know, 15 years ago, a social media manager didn't exist. Influencers <laughs> didn't exist. Uh, and yet those are, if you talk to a lot of high school kids today, they're like, that's what I wanted. I want to be an influencer. I want to be a social media manager. And it's funny because it's like, okay, that career didn't exist 15 years ago. Who's to say that A, it will exist 15 years from now, or B, that there won't be something totally new that none of us have ever thought of that will be like the new dominant career. And But at the same time, even though social media managers didn't exist you know, two decades ago, the skills that go into it, the idea of knowing how to, how to communicate, how to, you know, work within a community. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of social media management and I wasn't, you know, I, that didn't exist when I was in college. So a lot of it was me taking, well, I learned this in school. I learned <laughs> these communication skills. I have a journalism degree. I've done photography. I've done all that. How can I take all these existing skills that I've learned and kind of, translate them into this new career that uh, didn't used to exist. And so, you know, just, just thinking about that as we've been talking, I'm like, God, that as long as you're teaching kids those skills and how to think and how to, how to apply these, these things that they've learned to new applications, you are kind of future proofing them in a way because there's no way to know what's coming down the road. Yeah. One of the things that I run into a lot of times with students and even with the with some of the parents you know a student will come in and like i want to be a game designer and then i'll have a you know meet with the parents or talk to the parents and the parents are like yeah they think they're going to be a game designer in iowa well cedar falls has two fairly large game design companies that have offices from the silicon valley and so just educating the parents as yeah. to and you know a lot of times they don't even realize that and so yeah. Um, absolutely. Such a great point. My So my son's father is a um, pipe fitter. He's actually a business agent for the local union here. And that conversation is constant between us because that is, you know, that's his perspective. He's just, and he has finally gotten to the point where he's like, you know what? I just don't know enough about it. You know, he mm -hmm. has gotten to a point in, in his own progression where he's starting to understand that maybe he can ask questions instead of just deciding, right? And so I think that that is really cool. You know, I would say... I, I'm going to go back to your just original message for my key takeaway today, which is about communication. I mean, I'm big on the relationships between people and systems and the way they impact each other. And I think the way we build re relationships in education, especially at this, you know, junior high, high school age, it's so important to teach them that your school is a system and it's a system that you're interacting with and you have a choice with how you interact with that. And then you have a choice with what you do and what you build from that interaction. And I think that applies to, to any system, regardless of our age, you know, to recognize I'm in a system here and, you know, there are things that are for and against me inside this system. How do I navigate that? And how do I grow from that experience? And I love that the kids that you're working with are getting that now in their life instead of when they're in their almost 50s too, <laughs> like being, you know, just seeing it. Oh, duh. You know? 
So, yeah. So I do. I just want to thank you again, Kyle, for being here um, for the second time. Um, <laughs> I think it's amazing. You, um, I was sharing with Samantha um, Dalby, who recommended you come on the, the podcast um, after we recorded the first one, I was just like, Kyle is amazing. He's a gem. I love talking with him. He's so just innovative and has all these great ideas. And Samantha's comment, which I love, was, you know, it's, it's funny how so many innovative people don't recognize that they're innovative. You know, because that was kind of your initial reaction. What do you want me to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> and so, but what you're doing is special. It is unique. It is impactful. And I applaud you for doing it. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the, thank you for the yeah. opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Yes. I really enjoyed having you here yeah. twice. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks so much to our guest, Kyle Coolers, for coming on the show today. Remember, you can find Kyle out on social media at KCoolers. That's K-K-U-H-L-E-R-S. He says he's especially active on Twitter, so find him there. You can also email him directly at CoolersK, that's K-U-H-L-E-R-S-K, at waterlooschool.org. We had a great time today. We love this show. And hey, if you loved the show, we would love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, and plus, you can visit our blog, nubo.co slash blog, to find key takeaways that are summarized and detailed from this episode. This podcast is produced and distributed by LAS Media Group. For more information, go to lasmediagroup.com. Finally, you know, we'd love it if you'd consider a donation to NuboCo because your contributions to our nonprofit are what help us continue to serve innovators and educators and entrepreneurs across the state. So to learn more, just visit nubo.co slash donate. We need a funny line. We always have a funny line. Well, we should innovate a funny line. We should innovate a funny line. <laughs> what would be innovative? I feel like we need to learn more. Maybe we should uh, go to the Waterloo Career Center and, and learn how to do funny stuff. I bet they could hook us up with some comedians and get let us job shadow, and we would come out like hilarious, except then we'd be those annoying friends who do improv exercises all the time, and everybody's like, no, no, we're not doing this. Yes, and we are doing that. And, you know, and then, then you don't get invited to parties anymore, and it gets really sad. It's kind of a self-defeating spiral, but we could learn a lot. Yes, and then maybe we could be as cool as Kyle Coolers. Wow. Wow. You you don't you don't need to go to school for comedy. You've you've already got everything you could possibly need right there. Hashtag dog joke. <laughs>